show you that I need to. But what we're doing, as always, we're on completely different schedules. Working on a tournament for different people, even if we work on it for the same people. If we work on it for the same people, they don't put us together. Yeah. And if we work on it for different people, we have completely different schedules. So I've literally come off court and I'm having breakfast. Right, yeah. I'm about to have lunch. <laughs> when we're done. And then when, although we will then go back on at the same time. I think we've confused everybody, won't we? Yes. Yeah, we will. Because we're both doing different, but the next match. Different schedules, yeah. On different courts. On different courts. Different matches. In different parts (laughs) of a building. (laughs) We're nowhere near each other, but we have found time to be together. We're covering Monte Carlo, and I love Monte Carlo. Oh, so good. I love Monte Carlo. For so many reasons. Many reasons. It's so good. Apart from the rain on the first day, or second day. That was unexpected. That was a bit bit Unappreciated. But it is, it's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful venue. Four matches a day, keeping it nice and light, showing that it can be done without night sessions. It can be done without night sessions. And we've also added into that, it's the first time we've seen Djokovic, Nadal since Australia. It feels we, we, it's like we're bringing the band back together. Miami was great, and it was great to look at the future and what the future might look like, will look like. But I quite like that we've got the band semi back together for Monte Carlo. Yeah, it, it does have that feeling. And I think Monte Carlo is one of those tournaments that everybody loves. Of course, it's a huge event, it's Masters, but you know, it's very glamorous. A lot of them have homes there. Djokovic lives there. So it's just, it's a very easy one to play isn't it really so I think uh, yeah not surprising to see them back and I agree with you after Miami sorry to jump straight into the straight into the tennis but as you say the uh, the old guard coming back and saying hang on a minute and we did have a Djokovic <laughs> against Sinner in the second round and it was I'm not going to say it was entirely one-sided it was competitive but it was very much sort of a okay you got a little way to go buddy I'm not ready for them to go yet. I think that's what <laughs> I, I think that's what Miami told me. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not ready. I thought I was ready, and because I'm very excited by the young players coming through, but I've realised I'm not quite ready. Who excites you the most out of the young players? I think Yannick Sinner. Yeah. I, we actually was having a conversation with Miles McLagan, who I'm working with, and he. I can put this question to you, and we could put it to our listeners. He said, "So there's two part question." Who, outside of Djokovic, Federer and Nadal, who in the top 10 will be the next number one? So who, an obvious answer is Medvedev, because he's at number two. Yes. Oh, so already in the top 10. Yeah, so who at the moment in the top 10 will be the next number one, but you can't have someone who's been there? Oh, okay, fine. So you would go... I mean, yeah, the smart money's on Medvedev, right? But team... I don't see team. I don't know what? why. I, I, I don't know why I'm not. What? I and I can't. I just, I don't know why I'm not who seeing. Who would you put above him? Okay, say Medvedev is your favourite, but then who would, who would go above him? Sitsipas. I would put Sitsipas. Sitsipas? Look, I'm why a massive. Why would you not put Sitsipas? I'm a massive fan of Sitsipas. I've picked Are you clouded by Dominic team winning the US Open? Has that clouded everything? No, I'm... I wouldn't say clouded, but I'm absolutely taking into consideration that he's already won a Grand Slam. Yes, I am doing that, because if I didn't... There'd be world number ones in the women's game who've never won a Grand Slam title or were number one before they'd won a Grand Slam title. But he had also reached finals before, (laughs) and he will win more Grand Slam He's going to win a lot of Roland Garros, isn't he? Well, how long can the doll hold on for? I I just... For me, about Tsitsipas, I I think I get sucked into a story. You know I get carried away by the heart rather than the head in terms of when I'm picking for a competition. I mean, I'm surprised I haven't said Rublev <laughs> to be the next number one. But Sitsipas, it's the way he learns. It's, his, it's this sole focus and determination, not that team doesn't have it, but with Sitsipas, just to, he loses, he goes away, he learns, he comes back better, fitter, faster, if all these things are possible. And I know there's still a lot of areas to work on in the Sitsipas game. But I don't know why I'm just not seeing it in Dominic team yet. I think he's going to be a member of the top 10 for years and years to come. But the next number one, if it's not Medvedev, I would go Sitsipas. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I think it's a little bit trivial because it looks like it's probably going to be Medvedev, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting because we've got to remember the surfaces and clay and grass. Yeah. And a lot of these players are not quite so tested. You could argue that Sitsipas could do incredibly well on the grass because it really suits his game. But all of this is sort of yet yeah. to be seen. I'm, look, I love Sitsipas and I, th- I think he's absolutely fantastic. I, I really do. I'm a big, big fan. But 
I would say behind Medvedev, team team's got to be the favourite. No, no mention of Zverev, though. Interesting. No, I, I find with Zverev, and we were again talking about this, I just can't... Tennis on the court, I just... I can't trust him enough in a tournament. So would I... We have these picks in the Masters competitions, who's going to win... And I would rarely pick him because he can play amazing tennis, but then it can sort of crumble before your eyes and you're not quite sure why. So I don't think I have the confidence in Zverev. I think that's fair enough. Is that fair enough? Yeah, I think so. He's a little little bit up and down, isn't he? So your original question was the young one. So then we move that. The next part of the question was outside of the top 10, who is going to be the next number one out of the... Outside of the top 10. From outside? Yeah. Well... Again, smart money's on Sinner, really, isn't yeah. it? To be honest, it looks like he's sort of on track. Also might have timed it quite well that Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, by the time he... Because it's still going to take him some years, but by the time yeah. he is up at the top and looking like he could be number one, they will be winding down, although we've been saying that for a decade. <laughs> so who knows? He might still be playing Roger Federer in the final. It's a really like long wind down. Five years old. Um, yeah, I think Sinner, I mean, we discussed it last week, didn't we? I, I wouldn't, I know Hercatch has reached the final, but I wouldn't really be be picking him. No. I'm, yeah. Can I uh, give you Felix Ogelia-Sim? No. Why not? not he's no. got he's got everything. And at his age, he's already reached seven finals. No, he hasn't won one yet, but he's still reached seven finals. He's now got Tony Nadal in his camp. That That isn't what has swayed it for me. But he is. When you look at him, he should be the complete package. It is exciting. And I probably said no a little bit too hard. It was very there. quick. <laughs> very quick. I don't hate the guy or think he's rubbish. <laughs> Just to clarify, he's clearly very, very good. Um, I don't know. It's... It's the flatness of Auger and Isim. And I know that it's a, I suppose it's a bit of a strength, but I think it hurts him more than it helps him, to be honest. The flatness of his character, not the flatness of his shots, of his character in, in the matches. And he is just, he doesn't flinch. And sometimes, you know, I was commentating on his match just the other day, his first round here against uh, Christian Garin. And it was just sort of, you, you've got to do something different. It's not working. You've got mm. to you've got to kind of get a bit of life about you and that bit of oomph. And he's so committed to trying to do the right thing and he's so methodical and right, what can I... And he's just, he's a thinker. And I just want to stop thinking, just play. Just. Is he not instinctive enough? Yeah, exactly. He's not, he's not instinctive enough. Also, I don't know how hard he can hit the ball because he never hits it as hard as he can. He doesn't have that freedom on a, on a shot to inject the pace. Look, there's loads of areas in his game that can really improve, and he's, of course, of such a tremendous level. He's a fantastic mover. There's so much to like about him. And you know, I mentioned the areas to improve the second serve, the forehand as well. But it's just more about him. You know, Somebody like a, a Yannick Sinner, when we watch him competing... Whether he's playing well, he's just off well, or however the match is unfolding, yes, there's an element of you've got to problem solve, but I think that Auger Elysium gets a bit too wrapped up in that and not yeah, just sort yeah. of let the blood flow, get the juices going and just play and compete and just win. It's a tie break. Stop thinking about what the right thing to do is and just do just do it, just play. Um, but I don't know, maybe he'll learn that in time, but I feel like that's quite a natural part of the the character that is going to, going to be a bit difficult so I'm going to give you one more name then in this to be the next number one from outside the top ten yep Sebastian Corder I mean possibly I'm not going to pick him but I would say possibly he's got everything there he's got the best guidance he's got the best advice I mean he's got Graf and Agassi advising him he's got his dad Peter Corder in his camp and his mum used to play tennis as well he's already doing wonderful things at his age he seems to be the complete package he can go toe to toe with the top guys, he's already got a top 10 win. And again, we're not talking tomorrow. He's not going to be number one tomorrow. But in terms of this chasing pack. I mean, he's just, he's very early in the journey, isn't it? It's tough. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's, it's difficult because I can see that, you know, of, of course the potential is there. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, to say that he would be the next number one outside the top 10. So are you saying that, so, okay, Djokovic is number one. And then whenever yes. he stops being number one, yeah. it might be Medvedev. Or team. Or sets pass. Team or <laughs> and you're sort of saying that then after that, it might be Yeah, who's going to be the next person from outside the top ten to be number one? So you could have, what about a Shapovalov? 
So yeah, I like a Shapovalov. You like a Shapovalov? I take a Shapovalov. What about Shapovalov. a Massetti? Again, a little bit early for me, but I mean, it's fantastic to watch. There is so much talent. I would say, uh, yeah, my my picks. Um, I would go Sinner, Shapovalov. Ooh. And I'm going to throw in Davidovich Vakina. That's only because you like him. I'm a massive fan. <laughs> He's, uh, I think that the best line from Monte Carlo, so we had the best line recently, I can't remember the tournament was when Kanish Curry said he wanted to be a penguin when he grew up, and that was obviously the best <laughs> line from that whole tournament. The best line here is Davidovich Vakina. You know, what have you changed? What have you worked on? Because he's, he's 21, he's 58 in the world. He's got through to his first quarter, Masters quarterfinal. He said, I've kind of reeled in the crazy. Now, we don't want him to get rid of the crazy, but he's just reeled in the crazy a little bit. Yeah, I think and it's it's working, and he should definitely not listen to me. But I think a bit too much. I miss it. Oh, you want a bit more crazy? Yeah, a little bit more. Okay, a little bit more the underarm serve and just just that. But uh, can I say it's nice to see you? I know you're right in front of me. <laughs> we are socially distanced. I can touch. You, we but should I won't. say, but don't touch me. We're not allowed to do that. But normally, either my internet's so rubbish that about five minutes into a podcast, the screen goes blank. Yeah, and I can't see you. And you can only realise I can't see you when I stop. Basically. Not li- it's when I start doing other things, isn't it? I can see you kind of looking around. At, yeah, not looking at I'm the not bored. I just can't see you, so I'm not just going to stare at a blank screen. Or when you haven't paid the electricity bill and you're sitting in a dark room. That, that only happened once. And once when I sat in a car park and it got oh, yeah. really dark. <laughs> I was waiting for one of the boys' like after-school activities to finish. And we were so we have lights, we have a desk, we are socially distanced, but we can we can see each other. The one thing to come out of this too, I think, sort of bring us back to back to earth with a bump in that the world is still not quite right was Daniel Medvedev testing positive for COVID-19. Yeah. Now, interestingly, he was staying in the hotel. He hadn't been staying at home because the players had been said, if, if you reside in Monte Carlo, you can stay in your abode. But he wasn't, and he got it. And it seems from his Insta story that he's fine he's playing i mean he's been told to stay inside and play computer games and we know he could have been a professional gamer yeah he's fine he's living the life isn't <laughs> he absolutely fine. <laughs> and, and he said he's he's feeling fine but it it, it brings it back that this is still real and it, it's still out there and i recently saw that victoria azarenka has i think withdrawn from stuttgart because she's due to have her covid19 vaccination now this isn't you and i telling people to have it or not to have it but it's interesting to see Victoria Zarenka doing that, and also the reality that it's still out there and it doesn't discriminate. Yeah, it, I mean, it was a big blow, wasn't it, for for Medvedev? And I know that you know the clay is not the most exciting ta- time for Medvedev fans, but he's still very good on it. He still wins a lot. <laughs> Although of he says matches. he hates it, he says there's nothing I like about it. It's it's dirty, it's messy. I don't like the clay. Yeah, I know. But Barty used to say yeah, that as yeah. well. Worked she, out well, didn't it? Exactly. <laughs> That's it's a love hate relationship. But uh, yeah, it might help him a little bit that Roland Garros has been pushed back that extra week, so you know he's still got time. Um, well, I mean, he's got time, obviously, to get back to compete, but we don't yeah. know how long it's going to take for him to fully recover. Um, you know, fingers crossed he's just sort of feeling fine and can, can get back to it. But, yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of chat wasn't there because he had practised with Nadal, but it seemed like they were fairly socially distanced. And, I mean, there's testing going on the whole time, so as long as Nadal tests negative, I suppose, um, the rules are that, that he can play. I mean, can you imagine Can you imagine if it had been Nadal, Monte Carlo? That would have been a crisis, as much as Medvedev's second seed. But then it was, a, it was slightly annoying because it's the first time that we've got Medvedev ranked above Nadal yeah. in a Masters, but, but actually with Nadal playing. So Nadal gets bumped to number three. It's, Nadal is number three, but it's not Federer or Djokovic at number two. Very, very strange. And then Medvedev pulled out, and because Nadal's in the bottom half and Djokovic in the top half, it's kind of back to being one and two seeds again because... But as I said, I missed them, so I'm fine with that. Oh, you're fine with it. Because there was a little bit of me that, that missed it. Continuing on my my Benoit pair theme of really thinking he needs to stay, step back, I haven't I haven't changed that here. He lost to Jordan Thompson on, on the Sunday. So that was the first day when there was just a couple of matches when Goffin came through against Chilich. And, and afterwards, I think there were some comments translated from French and he was again saying, it's like playing in a coffin with, yeah. with no fans here. In a cemetery, I Yeah, think, and it's like, something. It, it's awful and why would you do it? So why are you doing it? So my question to him, why are you doing it then? 
Yeah, it would be interesting. I mean, maybe he's just on the treadmill, doesn't know how to come off. Do you know, I I, I did that match. I, I was commentating on oh, yeah. it, and I thought he played great. <laughs> it was okay. so really Were there good any outbursts match? or anything that told you no, that? No, only from Thompson. It was so scary. Pear did not flinch. He just was Mr. Stoic the whole time. Not only that, he started off a bit sort of, now nah, let's see what happens. But then as it sort of unfolded, he just got better and better and better to the point where I would... I would have actually said he's working really hard at this match. He was working really hard. He was chasing balls down. He was playing really sensibly. We got a few drop shots, and he he did hit 18 double faults, which was a, a bit of an ouch. <laughs> so it was it was a long match. It was three hours though, um, and I think four <laughs> of them, three of them were on break points, and then the fourth was match point. So uh, that was a, a bit difficult for him. Um, it was a big that was why he lost if he'd have just sorted that out he would have won yeah, yeah. Um, but it was funny because Thompson was so angry from such so early on I don't know whether it was because he was expecting to win or he was just expecting Pear to be how Pear has been I mean he's seen it as much as we've seen it and Pear was just sort of no, I'm just going to play tennis and then he just got better and better and by the end I'll tell you what Pear was playing so well and but but nothing we, we got one little mutter and we thought oh but that was it and he got he got clamped down nothing but we got constant just shouting and frustration from thompson and there was one point where thompson threw his racket because he kept sort of dinging his racket it was a bit annoying really but he he threw his racket and then the camera just cut to pear who was looking down the other end like just with the look on his face that all of his opponents have had when they played <laughs> against benoit pear and the look on his face was just looking at thompson going all right, mate, it's only tennis. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> so it was totally bizarre. So he played a great match. And then he does those comments post-match and he kind of think. and I think he's entered into every single possible tournament that he could enter into. So it's not like he's pulling back or stay. He, As you say, maybe he doesn't know how to get off the treadmill. Maybe, I don't know, who doesn't want to go and lie on an island for a little bit and chill out? Well, historically, he's always played a, a lot. lot. Yeah. Every week he possibly can play. There was one year, I think it was 2019, where up to Roland Garros, he had played in every possible week he could have played. It's more than Dominic Team. Yes, more than wow. Dominic Team. But that's less, I personally think it's less because he loves competing and more because he hates practicing. Because <laughs> that's the alternative, <laughs> right? So well, That's true. <laughs> so I think it's more like, oh, I'll play a tournament and then I can just play the matches and that'll be my practice session. That was, I think, I don't know, that was what I read into it, but who knows. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's just so used to going week in, week out. But Interesting you mentioned Jordan Thompson because I was keeping an eye on his match with Fabio Fanini because I'm one of these people, I know some people don't like Fanini or how he plays. I really enjoy watching Fanini, yes, because I enjoy the fact there's going to be a, a little problem or a little issue at, at some point. And we've got line judges back in Monte Carlo. He yes. couldn't argue with, argue with Hawkeye Live, but now he's got actual people to point fingers at and have a go at. And Jordan Thompson was taking on Fabio Fanini. And, and Fanini was doing his hands on hips, strutting, muttering. Yeah. But Thompson, from what I could see, was getting really angry. Yeah, it was the same thing. <laughs> I was doing that match as well. And he would just continually just... Because the thing was, is at the beginning of the match against Pear and the same against Fanini, it, you know, I get asked the question, what does Thompson need to do in this match? And, you know, look, especially against Fanini, it's at a different level. But... It's okay. Thompson, what he does is he's a brick wall. He's super solid, really consistent. He's going to be calm. He's just going to allow the Fanini show to go up and down the roller coaster. Same with Benoit Pair. And then what I ended up seeing in both matches was Pair being unbelievably calm, didn't make a peep. Fanini had a little bit of a thing, but on the whole was pretty much just getting on with business. And Thompson just going nuts. <laughs> just going nuts the whole time. Throwing rackets. He had hands on hips yeah, after yeah, every yeah. point. He was fuming. And I was like, well, this doesn't make me look very good, does it? <laughs> not at all. I expected to happen. You're going to watch out for the quiet ones sometimes. So, uh, no, look, we're enjoying, we're enjoying Monte Carlo. You're getting, you're getting a, a bit of the young coming through, but then you're, you're getting, I don't want to call them old, but I'm going to call them old. Talk of Indian Wells. Now, this is interesting because at the moment we've got eight Masters scheduled. Indian Wells was was postponed slash cancelled. But I was reading today on, on social media, and it is just chatter on social media, that both tours are now quite determined to make it happen in mid-October. Now, we know there isn't a weather problem in Indian Wells. Yes, it can get too hot in the summer, but October, it will be absolutely lovely. But interesting, A, how does that fit in to schedule in October because we believe this year, unlike last year, we will have a full Asian swing. 
And then I was asked by someone, well, why would the players really make the effort to go there? I mean, A, because I just think it's a wonderful place to go, but B, they will be offering full prize money because we saw Miami, I think, was over down from over a million to around 300,000. Indian Wells, it will be full prize money. Yes, which will be uh, definitely a big pull. I mean, Indian Wells just does have that oh, luxury, amazing. doesn't it? They just, just have unlimited space. They have unlimited oh. money, and that's what you can do with the tournament. It's incredible there. I say unlimited. It's not unlimited, but pretty it much. It it, it's like pretty. It, it pretty much. It, it it's in the middle of a yeah. desert. Yeah. <laughs> You've got space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think I think players will be keen to go, keen to play. I imagine. Um, I'm not actually 100% up to date on it, uh, but is it? Like what post US Open, so you play yeah. US Open and just go. It'll straight. be in October. What like so? It'll be mid October, a little bit like Roland Garros last year. Right, so like a week or two after, and go to, and, the, and then they would go to Asia. But last year there was there was no Asia last year. Well, it'll be interesting, particularly with the WTA, because they have big tournaments. Big in Asian Asia. swing. And I know we do have the Masters, of course, in Shanghai, yeah. and we've got five hundred in Beijing plus others. Um, but for the women. That is, I mean, it's the biggest... And for the women, in terms of financially what they would earn, they would earn an awful lot from the Asian swing. Yeah. I mean, what is it? It's ridiculous for winning the tour finals in Shenzhen. Like, four million or something? That's incredible, $4 isn't million it? dollars? I, mean, I might admit that. It might be two million. It's, it's millions. I think four <laughs> sounds about right. But say millions. That, millions. Covered, that covers everything from two upwards. millions, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, so I think it would be more interesting to see how it would fit with the the WTA because I don't think especially with the Asian swing having not had their tournaments last year they are going to want to come back mm. with a bang and especially if they have that sort of money on offer but you know it's, these are the politics they've got to negotiate I don't I don't have a clue do I I don't know what's going on with that so if they can if they can fit it in brilliant but if it's going to replace other tournaments it might not go down so well Davis Cup this it feels a very newsy week Davis Cup being split into three places Austria, Italy, and Spain. Yes. And then the semi-finals and the final will be in Spain, but they're not using the magic box. Yes. The Caja Magica. Yes. It's not going to use that, probably because with COVID, it's, it's quite enclosed, isn't mm. it? It's freezing. Well, it was the last time so Davis Cup finals, which is so cold. Um, but they're, they're gonna, it's going to be at the Madrid arena, so they're going to separate things out because people are they're having to make adjustments. Look, Monte Carlo this week is being played behind closed doors changes and because we don't know the state of the world going forward they're having to make changes to try and separate things out as much as possible I mean the great thing is we're waiting to see if the Billie Jean King Cup finals that is that's a mouthful yeah which was due to be played over Easter will be fitted in I don't know whether maybe that makes it harder now with Indian Wells trying to pop into October or whether we move then in to December but it's uh Look, the tennis schedule, you know better than most, or much better than me, it's a headache anyway. Yeah. But now they're trying to put extra ones in to make up the ones we didn't have last year, keep the same ones in, and then in things like the Davis Cup, well, we're just going to spread that over three countries. Yeah, I think the spreading the Davis Cup makes sense. Look, you were in Madrid uh, in 2019, as I was. It's cold. Uh, the Davis Cup. And we'll, it was cold. Very cold. It also finished at ridiculous times at night, 4.24 a.m., I finished commentary. Oh, I didn't do that one. On one of my matches. I didn't do that one. <laughs> and that was uh, that was quite extreme. When I and saw you the you next day, you walked past me. You didn't know who I was. Yeah, I mean, you just walked was, straight past. I was like, was "Hi," tough. and I got nothing. Nothing. It was tough going for a lot of people, but it was, you know, I mean, interestingly, that was a dead rubber as well, which is <laughs> <laughs> there was, nothing happened at the end of it. That was it. No change the positions in the group. But there you go. Um, and anyway, so we did that until 4.24 a.m., the second latest finish there's ever been. I love the way you get the 4.24. You've got the exact. Uh, uh, it's, it's burned into it's my brain. <laughs> you know what? It was actually it's weirdly a lot of fun doing something like that because it's such a, a kind of a moment, but it was quite difficult. We had been What on... time was it to finish? <laughs> <laughs> we had been on air from 11 a.m. And it finished day. at? 4.24 a.m. Um, but I think it was just, it was too much tennis for the limited amount of courts they have at the Caja Magica. So I know that they are moving out of there, but when they started saying, oh, we're actually going to do it in different venues, I didn't realise we were going to do it in different countries, but they were saying different venues originally. Yeah. And I just thought, yes, it's just too much tennis because we mm. have long changeovers between the match because you've got to change the teams and the team, the team captain needs a break. Yep. And you've got... Um, 
you've got anthems, you've got walk-ons, you've got presentations. I mean, there's so much that sort of, it's not like a normal tennis schedule. And so a normal tennis schedule, you've got five matches is standard. And then sometimes they try and squeeze in six where days get really long. And then at Davis Cup, they were doing six matches plus changeovers, anthems, pauses and all this sort of stuff. That's why it got so long. So when they said that, I was like, yes, absolutely. Spread it out. <laughs> Can we have more more tennis happening at the same time, please? Because I was just following Great Britain because I was out there with five live. So yes. I knew the team. I mean, but one of those ties was eight hours. Yeah. I mean, one great we, we were like... Oh, and I think Miles McLaggen, I think he was the only summariser. So while we were switching in the commentary box, Miles just sort of sat there and looked at us longingly as we left the <laughs> box for a bit and then came back again. But I remember you guys working for the World Feed. There was a lot of just sort of that vacant, starey, and there was a bit of illness going around at times. It was just... It oh, that was, was it. We lost a couple of members, didn't yeah, we, of the yeah. team because they got ill they, and it was really bad illness. Oh, no. Oh, memories. It was a precursor of, of what was to come. I know, and it was a fantastic week, though. I sound like fun. I'm talking negatively about it, but it was uh, it was full on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now you talked about too much tennis. So this is one for you. Having worked with Littlands and been involved in grassroots stuff, working also this week with Claire Curran. Love working with Claire. Yes. She's working with Fran Jones, the, the British player who made such a splash coming through qualifying getting into the Australian Open and wonderful story she has but we were just chatting and she's got three girls that kind of play tennis and she was talking about taking one of her daughters to a tennis tournament and she said there was a girl there who at the age of 11 had played age of 11 had played 1273 matches now she had to tell me this about three times because she went yes 1273 a week before her eighth birthday this child she had played 800 matches. Please tell me that's too much, and please tell me that's not normal. How? Uh, I don't understand how it's possible. But like, what, official <laughs> matches? Yeah. So, yeah. What, this, is, this is crazy. Gone to tournaments. Are they just tie breaks? <laughs> Gone into tournaments, played a match, notched one off, off we go again. Well, I mean, it's, that's a ludicrous amount of But matches. that is ridiculous, yeah, isn't it? That's, that's, that is full on. I mean, that's basically as much as you can possibly play. I mean, she's not doing anything else with her time. Well, maybe like Ben Wapesh doesn't like practicing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's the strategy, isn't it? You'll learn out on the court. And I do often say that your opponent's going to teach you more than any coach will. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's But that just doesn't seem great. Because you talk about protecting players. And yes, they've got to get the experience. And as much as you can have a keen eight-year-old that wants to play surely you as the grown-up whether it be the parent or the coach has to say I know you love playing and I know you're doing really well but but no like some we've talked about this for Felix Ogielosim could have played the Australian Open a few years ago no time is not right Corder could have gone out this year and played Australia no that's not the route we're going to take at the moment as much as you want to as much as they're like a little tantalizing pot of gold whatever that gold might represent surely you've got to say because that's got burnout written all over it before she's a teenager yeah of course it has I mean, there's a very high chance of, of burnout, for sure. And, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. It's not a good idea. I've never seen that sort of thing working. I mean, I grew up in the era where you did have girls who were playing a huge amount. Um, so, like, a Wozniacki, a Radvanska. Yeah. They, well, actually, maybe less so Radvanska. But Wozniacki, I suppose, more than anyone. She was our sort of junior world number one. And you knew that from the age of 11, she had just been playing and playing and playing and playing and playing. But I don't think she, even she would have reached anywhere near those numbers. Is there a healthy number or can you not put a number on it? Because you, you know that's an unhealthy number. But is there, I don't know, say you get to the age of 11 or 12, is there a healthy number or it really depends on who and what you were working with? Well, it's the eight, was it 800 before she was... 800 a week before she was eight. Yeah, it's the before she was eight thing. Because the, Also, I just don't really see what you're learning at that stage. I don't think you're learning the, the, the right sort of competitiveness. I think at a sort of 10, 11, you can understand people playing a lot and 
you know there is a bit of a balance with that but it has been shown to work that basically playing as much as you can can get you through it also can cause a lot of burnout and this is just the one thing that everybody always needs to remember for every story of success there are hundreds mm. hundreds possibly thousands more that have done exactly the same and it's not worked so i remember when everybody talked about the sharapova story where they upped and moved from Russia and the family essentially had to split apart so that she could train in Florida and, and all of this sort of stuff. She is not the only person that showed that level of commitment. I can name a number of British kids that did a very, very similar thing, trying to copy what she... They, they thought, well, that's what it takes, so let's do that. My kid wants to be a tennis player. And it just resulted in broken homes and really awful horrible situations and you know for nothing so there is always that side of it and I think similarly okay it worked for Wozniacki but I can I could list another 50 players that just ended up getting too injured bodies broke down mentally couldn't deal with it and just didn't want anything to do with the sport anymore by the time they were sort of 15 16 Wozniacki was top 100 but when she was what 16 17 so you know it it, it works for few and maybe this girl will be that one that it works for, but I think the numbers tell us that she'll probably fall into the, the other group. I mean, those numbers are ridiculous. I think the first time I realised it in football is when I started covering reserve matches. Until that point, you're covering football at, at the highest level, so the first team and, and the squads and, and, and the other leagues around it. And then you look at the reserve leagues and you see these really talented players, some are being billed as as the next Frank Lampard at the time or, or the next John Terry or the next Didier Drogba and all these labels are on them but the amount that never made that leap so I'm watching sort of 18 and under and they're doing some great things and we're excited about seeing these players and they're winning youth cups and they're really top of the level and they're playing for England at young level but then there's that leap maybe it's between amateur turning into professional tennis I don't know if it's comparable but there's that leap in football between sort of 16 and 18 whether it's that they don't develop enough, whether it's something mentally that doesn't change, but the amount of players that I would wax lyrical about week in, week out, never heard from again. Mm. And, and they just disappear. And I spoke to a couple in the past and they said, well, I just if I couldn't play at the highest level, I didn't want to do it. So if I wasn't going to be within a, a Premier League or Championship where we're looking, he said, I didn't want to be slogging it around at the low leagues. I didn't love it that much. It yeah. was a job. So I've decided to get another job. And, and others that just... It, it felt like they hit their ceiling. So we were talking about them as being the next Frank Lampard at 16, but then they didn't progress. And all these dreams that they had and people telling them, and they're in the top academies in the country, and suddenly it's, I'm afraid you haven't made the cut. And I think that's when I first realised all the people that fall by the wayside and largely through no fault of their own. Yeah, and I mean, you're, you must be talking about like thousands, right? Yeah, that tens of thousands. Yeah. When it comes to football, I mean, the numbers are just so much, so much bigger, uh, particularly in this country. But yeah, I mean, tens of thousands of of kids who thought they were going to be, and uh, and you're and sold the did. dream. And if you're part mm-hmm. of an academy, academy for one of the big club, you're looking over the fence and you're seeing those guys. You're seeing the guys that you've looked up to. Maybe in the olden days, you'd have washed their boots. Doesn't really happen so much anymore. Hmm. But but you'd see them, and, and you could almost touch the first team training ground, and, and you had that dream. And it wasn't sold falsely. That was a possibility. But for maybe no fault of your own, or maybe a fault of your own, it doesn't happen. Or maybe they've got... 10 left backs that are ahead of you and you might be an excellent left back but there's 10 ahead of you so you're never going to make that leap but I think when I started to realize that and and I think the money with tennis I think it's exceptional the money that you have to find to take one child around and and more than many other sports but you still got to give the dedication you still get families moving and, and giving up every night to take them to training but the ones that that don't make it you think there is you can play 1,273 matches by the time you're 11, but it doesn't guarantee anything. Absolutely not. And actually, that's the, the, the least efficient time to be competing a lot. You want to be light. Like if you're going to be the most efficient with in terms of your learning and development, you want to be light on matches by the time you get to about 11, 12, and that's when you want to start ramping them up. So I often say to parents that I'm, I deal with that you know you don't have to go to they still compete when they're young but you know the whole sort of oh between Christmas and New Year we've got to drive four hours to get to this tournament because she needs to get these points and I'm like look do you know what at 10 years old you don't need to do this and I'm telling you this because she's a good player and if you are going to go down this journey I'm afraid at 15 years old 
you will have to do it. Like th- there will be those situations and those choices you're going to have to make, and it affects the rest of the family. And these families, they, the kids have other siblings as well that don't yeah, play tennis yeah. and possibly get dragged around or, or whatever. It has a big impact, and it's just not necessary until you start getting into the teenage. You still need to compete. Like you, you can't really come from having never played a match at 12 years old to then trying to learn to compete um yeah. i've not really heard of that being successful i've seen it tried again i've seen incredibly talented players i saw one actually training at img in in florida many many years ago about 10 years ago and so she would have been about seven or eight and oh, she was good and i would hit with her and she was really really good So, how old were you and you're hitting with a seven year old oh um 17 and you're with a seven-year-old. Well, not as my training session. No, 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 but no, no, but no, but it, I'm just trying to imagine a seven-year-old on court being able to play at a standard to hit with a seventeen-year-old. Well, yeah, we we just we just hitting up and down the middle, and it was more sort of at the end of my session, she would be coming like around the area. And so but still, for her to her be up. considered good enough to be training with a professional seventeen-year-old, even for me, that's like work. Oh, she was she was awesome, and she was so good, and she was so locked in, and the family were completely committed. But their strategy was that she was not going to compete until she was a teenager. Not a single match. Because? Because they thought that that's what causes the burnout. And actually, if she just trained and got really good and got to hit with me and hit with all these other people, you know, at Boletaries, I mean, it's a who's who of the top 100. Yeah. Um, and she could do that, then she could she could pick that up. Um, and I, look, I don't know how it panned out, but she's not a tennis player. So. But then how often do we say, and I've never played sport professionally, I'm still attempting to run most days, but never mm. at any kind of level, that training does not replicate match situations. And I know that. Yeah. And I've never played before. So surely you would think that parents of someone who's actually within the industry trying to have a professional career would know that. Yes, there's, there's overkill at, at 12,000 matches by the time you're 11, but surely you have to know. Because we always say that. When, when Djokovic and Nadal came back, haven't played since Australia, into Monte Carlo, it was intriguing to see how they got through their first matches at Monte Carlo and they got through them very well because it was the well they could have practiced and practiced and practiced but it's not the same as being in a match situation if we're saying that about the world number one it's going to apply to a seven-year-old isn't it 100% I just I was just thinking like I mean can you just imagine being a parent and having to I mean, it was tough enough for like my parents having to drive us around every weekend we're driving all over the country to compete I mean, it's 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 full on enough. I mean, that many matches, you're having to. You never stop. Do sacrifice, you? yeah. Well, it's not a sacrifice; it's a choice. You don't have to do it. it. Is, it's a sacrifice as well, though, isn't it? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's it's a choice. You choose to do something because it's worth it in the long run, and but it might be hard. When that then, when that if that girl doesn't make it, was it worth it? Can you still turn around and say it was worth it because we gave it a shot? Or if they've invested so much, is it then a disappointment and it wasn't worth it? Depends what you get out of it. If you get somebody at the end of it who has learned an awful lot from the sport and they're able to deal with pressure, they're able to deal with working hard, finishing things, you know, all these life skills that it's hard for kids to learn. But you haven't gone into it for a life skill. If you're committing everything and sacrificing everything for them to be a professional tennis player, you're thinking world number one, grand slams. You're not thinking she's going to come out of this knowing how to manage situations, are you? That's what I'm just thinking. That that, that, That's what the parents, they're not going to think, oh, tennis, well, this would give you some life skills. You're thinking, oh, tennis, you know, she could do this, she could be the next X, Y, and Z. So I just kind of wonder, and look, you deal with, with parents I, I would love to be a fly on the wall when you're dealing with a difficult parent because I think you would do it so well <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely a skill <laughs> and I think skill. you've got it I think you would be so good at saying to a difficult parent now look I'm not saying she's not going to be the next Serena Williams I'm just saying <laughs> hang on there let's not put that up there just yet yeah but I mean if you're I mean, I have dealt with parents that have basically had that approach of it's either I want them to be Andy Murray or nothing. Well, you know, then you're going to have you're going to spend a lot of your time being disappointed in your kid, which is a real shame. Yeah. You know, it's just not very nice because, you know, even to be honest, I don't even think Judy would have held Andy to those ridiculous like It's not the standards because he did have incredible standards, but like the expectation, I think if he had been a, a top 20 player, yeah, you know, I think 
would have been fine. But, you know, I, I speak to people who are, are literally like it's grand slams or nothing. Or or even, I suppose the most common one is it's a top 100 player or, or, not, or it's not worth it. Right. Because that's where you're making a good living. Yeah, exactly. That's when you're, I suppose, officially on the tour and you're you're competing in those tournaments week in, week out. So you get that conversation a lot. And it is pretty tough to navigate because you don't want to stop somebody from being inspired by Andy because, of course, he's incredible. But, um, you know... yeah, it's, it's 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 very it's very difficult. Like, unfortunately, you, you you want them to be inspired, but you don't want them to because normally uh, I'm finding it difficult to explain really because it it does come across as really harsh. But I mean, normally their starting point is already significantly below Andy because Andy was so good when he was so young. Yeah, yeah. So you're talking to sort of like the parent of a 13 year old who's a good national player, and you think, okay, well. You, the amount of catching up you would have to do is absolutely astronomical and it's always possible and you and and I would never ever tell a parent that it's not possible absolutely not but I would make them understand the numbers you know and and that is that is really important you obviously took a step back when you were pregnant with Roger and now you've had baby Roger yeah in brackets is not his real name but it, it's, I've just <laughs> it's a great name. it was a, it was a consideration was it was it ever consideration consideration uh, uh briefly briefly, briefly. Right. so it's just kind of stuck with me for obvious reasons so you had to take a, a step back have you missed because you're back to commentating doing it now yeah a little bit later today have you missed coaching yes definitely I, I think what have you missed most about coaching is it telling people what to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um no i i don't know i think it's just sort of helping people improve because you can really see with with kids especially young ones their eyes just light up when they just finally get a grasp of something when they can finally do something or and if you've just helped sort of guide their attention and their it's focus rewarding. into the right way yeah it's just it's really nice to to see that and and that's that's what you want to do um it is yeah i don't know but in terms of the the achievements like we were talking about, you just got to try and avoid it, especially when they're so young. It's one thing when you get to like 18, you can start understanding where you sit in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the big picture that is professional tennis. You get an idea as to, you can be realistic. But maybe that's a harder conversation because at 11, 12, you can fudge it because they're still young. But at 18, if they are not going to cut it, that's mm. a harder comment. If you're with someone who's, whose parents are still ploughing in the money, they're still determined to realise this, this dream, you're out there on the court and this 18-year-old ain't going anywhere, that's a tougher... Because surely at the moment, at some point, you have to pick a moment to say it's not going to... Do, or do they just have to realise it? No, I, I don't think you do have to tell them that it's not going to happen because they don't like that. I mean, I was told a number of times when I was young, very young, that I was not going to be a professional tennis player and, and I ended up being one. So it... But it just it, it just depends, I suppose, it, uh, on what they think is okay. You can have a goal of being Andy Murray. You can want to be world number one, but it's what if that doesn't happen? You know, do you end up like, uh, say, Bernie Tomic always said that he was going to be no- world number one and win all four grandstands by the time he's eighteen? Didn't pan out that way. Turned out it was an awful lot harder than he thought it was. Still an incredible talent. Made a lot of money. He still, but he still could have made a really good career and been a proper tour player. But could he handle the fact that it wasn't what he was expecting? I don't know. I don't know whether that was part of it. Or I mean, I'm sure it's very complicated. But you know, there are a number of of players, a number of players like that. I think everybody's got their level as to you. We were talking before about like what's worth it. And that's it. And, and and I say that to players, you know, I say, well, if you were, I mean, we work in Britain, so I often use the British players as sort of the, yeah, of course, the, the yeah. benchmark. Um, you know, I'll say to them, well, what about if you were, were Heather Watson? Would that be, would you be pleased with that? And most of them are kind of like, yeah, she's had a good career. She's picked up four titles. She's top 50 player. Like, yeah. great. We'd love to be Heather yeah. Watson. I'll take that. And, you know, and th- that's great. But then you sort of, you need to work down and see what's acceptable. Because if they are saying that, nothing below the top 100 is acceptable. It won't be worth it if I don't reach the top 100. Well, then you need to have an honest conversation with where they're at because if they're way, way behind where they need to be, then, yeah, you need to say, okay, well, then you do need to consider how you're spending your time because if you're going to end up regretting that you've spent put time into this because you're not going to achieve that, because that's what you wanted to achieve, and if you haven't, then, you, then it's all been a waste of time, then we do need to have a bit more of an honest conversation about, like, 
don't <laughs> you're not going to want to waste your time but if you're saying i'd love to make top 100 but really i just want to be as good as i can be and see how far i can get brilliant crack on there's no place for me i'm not going to tell you you can't be top 100 but people like, told you it. you couldn't even be a professional tennis player yeah loads of people loads of coaches what, a, yeah. what, what was the youngest and what was the oldest when did that stop <laughs> when did they finally realise this girl's talented ah like what ele- was 11-ish that was that when was I was kind of getting a lot yeah what, that you wouldn't be at 11 mm-hmm. I, I just can't imagine at 11 year old when people are telling you that I, I mean, mean it only stopped when I got there <laughs> Oh, that was it. Interesting. I mean, there's honesty. There's on- I, I get being honest on one hand, but I mean, obviously they were wrong in your case. Mm. But I just, when you're an 11 and everything is still, sh- everything should still be so rosy and, and lovely and flowery when you're yeah, young. Exactly. But also it was unnecessary because, okay, they might have said to me, what do you want to be when you're older? And I'd say, I want to be a professional tennis penguin. player. Yeah, penguin. Like Nishikori. See, that's yeah, it. That's where See, you went wrong. That, that's an overachiever, right? <laughs> Aimed to be a penguin, ended up being a Grand Slam finalist. <laughs> That's how you do it. Yeah, you start as you start as a penguin. You don't, it, as I say, there's a difference <laughs> between goals, expectations, and as I say, the real important thing is what's worth it because you do not want somebody to finish their career whenever it finishes and think that was not worth it. And we do. I mean, you you spend an awful lot of your time with with former players working alongside them and. Oh, and it's a very common thing that when they stop, there is a real as a period of time where you're sort of wondered like what was I doing like you are proud of what you've achieved but you you have sacrificed or made choices Mm. so much you're like okay I have no friends I have I barely know my family I'm always away or or whatever you've lived this nomadic lifestyle and it can be really difficult to think was that worth it and well you know if you've been Andy Murray and you've got your grand slams and your millions then then possibly it is but if you've been ranked 150 um you know I was 170 you know, would it have been worth it? I didn't play for that long, but if I had played 10, 15 years of my life doing it, would it have been worth it? I'm, yeah, I, 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 I don't know have, how to answer it. Would you have baby Roger now? Would you have this yeah, exactly. career that you've got now? It, it, it's again, it's, it's some don't have the choice because they get injured and they have to do something else. But then look at Aslan Karatsev. I mean, he's 27. He plugged away on the Challenger Tour for all those years. He went through everything and now look at him. He's Yeah, but there, and I, and I do agree with you and we can talk about Marco Cecchinato as well and there are lots of players that do come through in their mid to late 20s now but they have already they would have got to a really high level at quite a young age it's you know and I can name some women as well I mean Angelique Kerber was stuck between 150 and 200 for a number of years before she broke through and of course got to world number one Um, it, it, it is common but you don't have somebody who will sit at a ranking of a thousand or be struggling to win matches at sort of the futures level or the 15k level for the women who will then come through later on it's much more sort of they're operating at that um for the women probably 150 to 300 level for a yep. good chunk of time they got stuck there and for the men you could maybe drop that down to 400 as well i think with karatsev he was kind of in that band but they are at that level which is yeah. really to be honest is knocking on the door I suppose you're you're kind of it's hard to close. get through the door but at least they've got a door in front of them yeah but I've never heard I'd love if anyone could correct me that'd be great but I've never heard of somebody who has been never been ranked inside 500 before the age of say 25 and has then come through to be sort of a top 50 player I've never heard it's just it's too yeah, much that's of too a, big leap. a leap okay. it's too much so you you do have to be operating at a very very high level um, it's just that it's the level below where they where they want to be. But in conclusion, <laughs> 1,273 matches is too much for an 11-year-old. <laughs> I, mean, I think <laughs> I've played like a 200 matches in my entire life. <laughs> so if you are a parent and you're starting to head towards those numbers, just put the brakes on. Oh, please don't. Yeah, please. Oh. And what, a week before her eighth birthday, 800 matches. It's too much. Now... You've come back to work with a bang because Monte Carlo this week, and then you've got, I've got to say it again now, Billie Jean King Cup playoffs. Yes. Action for you this weekend. Yes. Is that right? Great Britain against Mexico. Okay. I will be there. I'll be live. I'll be watching it, and I'll be commentating on it and looking forward oh, to lovely. it. It's a little bit one-sided on paper, must say, but still worth tuning in for all but our But you're actually there. Listeners. I mean, you're going to be there because that's quite, still quite a rarity, isn't it? Yeah. 
I will be there. I will be watching, and it will be. I, I'm actually really excited about it. It looks like a really good setup. It's at the National Tennis Centre. Yeah. There's no crowd or anything like yeah. that, so they could just do it in uh, at that right. sort of venue. But it's one of those ties where, when we first got the draw, which was Mexico away, uh, I mean, it was. Oof, that's painful that's because journey. as much as on paper, when it comes to the rankings, we are comfortably better. It was a well. They're going to stick us on clay, and it's going to be up at altitude. And it was a little bit tense, to be honest. Um, but it has since moved to be in Britain. Uh, they switched it around for a number of reasons. Political, I think, on the whole. And then also maybe some COVID reasons. But it is going to be in, in the UK, in London. And that just makes it completely different. And now we think, oh, this is going to be it's great. Be great. Now, not this weekend, because I have Monte Carlo to conclude. But I've got a, an appointment at the hairdressers. It's big news. You managed to get one. Big news. I've heard people talk about like they've been booked up for six weeks. Very big news. Well, I think because I'd sent my hairdresser so many messages during lockdown. Just what shall I do? It's getting quite drastic. What colour shall I use? Should I try and do something? What shall I do? That uh, when it came out, the the date that they opened this in the UK, it was from the twelfth through this week. I thought something was nagging at me about the twelfth. I thought. I think there's something in on the 12th. And I, then I was Monte Carlo all week. And normally yeah. I have a day off. I haven't got a day off. So I thought, that's fine. So I think my hairdresser was quite pleased. That I had to wait a week. But I'm, uh, I'm quite excited because the schools go back after Easter holidays in the UK. Are, well, some have gone back. My fellas go back on Monday. And I'm going to the hairdressers on Tuesday. I'm quite excited. Are you should it's, be it's excited. Quite, it's quite a random thing to I'm say. I'm excited for I'm you. Quite, it's, it's been... I Basically, I kept missing because of lockdown. I had three appointments that kept getting cut off by the new lockdowns mm. literally the day before they kept coming in. My hair's a different colour. I've been told I'm brave for the colour I've gone from, which is... <laughs> which a young person... You said that. A young person <gasps> said, you're really being really brave with the colours in your hair. And I was like... What? It's not, it's not brave. But I've been too scared to do it myself, you know, to go to the pharmacy, get a colour. I've been too brave because if it goes wrong, I can't go anywhere to correct it because they're shut. Yeah. So I can't do that. I don't, I don't think you've been brave. Like, your hair's not orange or anything. I've got, like, a comb-over. Well, no, it's the original. No, I haven't done anything to it. That's why I've just got a comb-over, because it's sort of two-tone. But anyway, I digress. But that is the big news. After Monte Carlo this weekend, that's the big news for next week will be... Although this is... No one can see it, so it doesn't really I can't matter. wait. To, I, I can't wait to see the difference. We will be back it next week. great now. We'll be back next week in our dodgy light with the yeah. you not paying your electricity. It's all a bit dark. I might be in a car park waiting for the boys to finish some kind of sport or something. So that's where we're going to be back to. How are we doing now time-wise? When, when do you have to go? What, how are you looking? Well, the first set's just about wrapping up on the match before me, so I can go and uh, do a little bit of prep and uh, crack on with my matches. And can I go and finish my breakfast now? Is yes. that all right? you have breakfast. I'll have lunch. Really, actually quite hungry now. And we will go our separate ways and probably not meet again for a while. But uh, it's been enjoyable to sit across from yes. you, socially distanced, and, uh, and have a chat. Yes. All, all right. right. I'm going to go and breakfast. Bye. Bye. Bye.